The rest of us, I just invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11. And it was a, a few years ago that uh, our theme for the year was faith, and we uh, took some time, a couple months, to, to go through Hebrews 11, looking at each of the different uh, individuals. And we're going to do that in the next uh, few weeks, but we're going to take a, a, a broader brush of, approach to it. So this morning we'll be looking at the first seven verses of Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we need you today. And so we cry out to you that you would minister to us through your word. We ask that you would change our lives that you would take our anxious thoughts and you would replace them with the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which surpasses all understanding. Father, we pray that you'll give to us understanding and wisdom and knowledge that we might know you and trust you more. Father, we ask that you would move in the hearts of our little ones as they're meeting together to worship you and the service designed for them. Father, reach their hearts with the message of the gospel. Spirit of God, invade their lives that they might know you and put their trust in Jesus. For all these things we ask our God in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm curious, has anybody here actually been able to visit the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Oh, actually, wow, I'm, I'm quite impressed. There, there are quite a few world travelers. It's kind of an, an interesting uh, uh, site to, to go to uh, in, in Italy. There's so many things to see in Italy. Um, but I think that one of the things that we recognize about the, the Leaning Tower is it, is it is a living example of how important a foundation is, Right? I mean, if, it, if there's anything else we get out of it, that, that much for sure we get. Um, Hebrews 11, 1 through 7 um, is really teaching us or is, 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 is teaching on the basis that, that faith is, is the bedrock foundation of the Christian life, right? Faith is, is central. It is, it is more than central. It is, it is it is the foundation upon which the entirety 
of our Christian life is built. And so it's important that we, we consider it. I'm going to look just really quickly at the first three verses and just kind of help us see particularly how, how these first three verses lay that out for us. In verse 1, it really shows us that um, by faith, we live for the future today. And that's really what it's, is, is saying is he says that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the things in the future, and the conviction of things not seen. We, we haven't seen it come to be, but, but we know it. And we rest in it, and, and that confidence comes, and that confidence is, is our faith, and that gives us that, that certainty by which we can live for the future. In verse 2, we see that by faith, um, we, we begin to, to understand that we are justified. He says, for by faith, for by it, faith, men of old gained approval. They gained approval. They gained that testimony of God that they are righteous, that they're able to stand before Him, and He is able to approve of them and to accept them into His presence, that justification that, that we, we have. And we will, uh, uh, I guess we can look at that for just a moment. The word gain approval, first let me, uh, is, is used multiple times in the passage we're looking at today. It's used in verse 2, it's used twice in verse 4, and it's used in verse 5, and it's translated different ways. The root word is the word from which we get martyr. Um, it means uh, a witness or testimony. And last week, uh, Jim was preaching in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you will be my witnesses, which is that same root word that uh, God is saying. This is who we are. Well, God is the one who gives witness. And what is the witness that he gives about his people who believe? The witness is that he says they are forgiven and they are righteous. If we look at uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 33, uh, asks the question, what is justification? And that helps us to understand that just a little bit. And justification is an act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. And, and, I mean, you can begin to break this down in so many different ways. First, you understand that it's an act, that there's a point in time in which God justifies us. It's not a process, it's not ongoing, but there's a moment in which it happens. And there are two things that happen. Number one, He forgives us all of our sins. He forgives us our sins. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for them. He paid the price in full so that we don't owe a debt any longer. But then he also provides for us a righteousness, which is the very righteousness of Jesus, his own obedience to God, and that becomes a clothing for us that is able to, to cover us. And we're given that righteousness, and we receive both of these. We receive them both by faith. That as we draw them into our lives and make them a part of who we are. And that's really what the author is saying in, in verse 2. For by it the men of old gained approval. And we look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of things which are... Uh, which <clears throat> so, that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. This is the idea that God created everything, if you will, ex nihilo. He, he created it out of nothing. And it's a, a reminder for us, and it teaches us the reality that by faith, we understand our existence. We understand the existence of the world, all that took place in God bringing it into existence. No one was there, right? We can do all of our scientific exploration we want, but the reality is no one was there 
to know what happened except God. And he spoke it into existence by the word of his power. And he brought it into existence out of nothing. And the idea that, that it, was, it was God who created the something to create out of, and it was God who spoke space, spatial existence in which to put that something, and then he chose to create it in a, in a sphere that he calls time. Well, we understand all of that by faith. This is what faith is doing in our lives. This is the foundation that it lays for us. I want to present a definition of faith which I use uh, all the time as I'm trying to think of faith. It's what, am I, what do I mean by faith? And so as we talk about faith today and anytime I'm talking about faith, this is what we're talking about. Faith is living consistent with perceived truth. And some people, as I've, I've shared that definition in the past, have been troubled by the use of the word perceived truth. And they say, no, our faith is not on perceived truth, it's on reality. It's, well, yeah, the Christian faith is, is based on reality. But we only exercise faith when we perceive something to be true. So that what happens is many people have very, very strong faith in error in things that are not true, but they think it is. They perceive it as true, and they exercise faith in that. And that's why we we examine the Word, and we want to be sure that our faith is built upon that which is true. But remember that faith is not knowing it, but it's living consistent with that perceived truth. That's where faith takes place, is in the life choices that we make. In Hebrews 11, 1 through 7, it shows us how we can receive the blessings which come from faith. In this passage, particularly in verses 4 through 7, the, the writer of Hebrews gives us three examples. He gives us the example of Abel, he gives us the example of Enoch, and he gives us the example of Noah. And each one shows us a different blessing that they received through faith. And we can receive those same blessings. So we're going to look at those three examples to understand these blessings that we receive by faith. And the first is that we can receive God's acceptance in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts through faith, though, boy, I skipped a line, didn't I? Through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. What made Abel's sacrifice acceptable to God? I don't know if you've ever heard, uh, I've heard preachers for years talk about what it is that, that made Abel's sacrifice acceptable and Cain's not. And, and many people, we can go back and we can uh, look at the passage from Genesis chapter 4 uh, in which we see this sacrifice, and I believe it begins in... In verse 2, again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the first things of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. As I hear 
Preachers speculate on this and what makes it acceptable, and, and often I've heard the idea that, well, you see, Abel brought from, from the uh, animals, he brought a blood sacrifice, and, and, and Cain, on his part, brought uh, just the plants, and so, so that's what made it acceptable, is God wanted the blood sacrifice instead of the, the, um, the harvest sacrifice, and, and, I, and I see that, and yet I, I recognize in Scripture that we're, we're also required in the Old Testament to bring the fruit of, of the field, right? That was also what was supposed to be brought. The, the whole sacrifice of the first fruits. And so I, I begin to wonder if, if that's what uh, made one acceptable or the other. And I also then, it kind of seems as though it's really tied on, on man's works, right? And it seemed like a, a way in which I gain acceptance with God by the works that I do. And, and that doesn't seem consistent with the rest of Scripture that I see, uh, such as uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But then I look at Hebrews chapter 11, I begin to get a sense of exactly why it is that Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not. Chapter uh, eleven four tells me that it was by faith that Abel offer the sacrifice. Abel believed and God accepted his sacrifice. He believed and God accepted that sacrifice. Now, um, it was his faith that brought about that, that uh, acceptance. And it isn't that, that because he believed God accepted, but, but when he believed, he was able to receive that acceptance. I want you to think for just a moment, if someone gave you a brand new car, okay, um, we were walking across a parking lot the other day, and Robin just about lost me because there was this Maserati idling. And I just wanted to look and listen. <laughs> and and it, it was just this, this beautiful, beautiful car, and the sound was just wonderful. I said, that sound, Robin, because she, she has no sense of smell, and so she doesn't understand what roses smell like. I say, that's what roses sound like, is what that sound is. It's, it's, just, it's just that. And it was just this. So imagine someone gives you that car, right? Brand new, right? And you've got this brand new car, and you choose to never drive it, right? You haven't received the blessing that they gave to you at all, have you? It's very much the same way. It's faith which enables me to receive the blessing that God has given to me, to receive the blessing of acceptance in Jesus Christ. Uh, you're probably familiar with John 1, 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, Right? Let's keep in mind what this is telling us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. How do we receive that forgiveness? By believing it. By reaching out and, and living as though this is now mine. And when I believe that I have that, then I also am able to turn away from my sins and I experience by faith the cleansing as the sins are put behind me and taken away. That's what faith does. It's the way in which I reach out and I receive the blessing that God has given to me. 
It's how I bring it into my life when I live consistent with the truth of that blessing. And friends, God declares you righteous. Looking at verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony. That's our our word again, uh, that comes from martyr, or that martyr comes from, that we receive the testimony. He received the testimony that he was righteous. Abel received the testimony. Who made the testimony? It was God who made the testimony because God testified, you are righteous. And by faith, he received that testimony. He understood. Was it his faith that made him righteous? No, it was God's declaration that made him righteous. But by faith, he was able then to live as that forgiven, righteous man. He was able to receive and live out the justification which God gave to him. That he is righteous. And the word righteous is also the root word for justify, which we've already looked at what justification is. And so I want to ask you, do you believe? I mean, are you living consistent with the truth that he has forgiven you of your sins and given you the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Do you believe, are you living consistent with the truth that the only way that you are reconciled with God is through Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done on your behalf? And friends, he's declared you righteous. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are forgiven? Have you received God's testimony about you that you are forgiven all of your sins? Do you believe, will you live consistent with being forgiven by Jesus Christ? And that means lift your head. There is no room for shame. None. Because all of your sin has been taken away. It's been paid for in full. And you are not despicable, wretched creatures. You are the saints of God who have been declared righteous by God. His testimony about you is that you are righteous. Do you believe Him? Will you live as men and women who are righteous in the eyes of Almighty God? Which means when that temptation to sin comes along, you say, i got nothing to do with you. You aren't a part of my life because I am one of the saints of God. I will live higher than that. And I will live for my Savior. To believe that you are righteous. And that gives you a power that carries you throughout this life. But God's work in our life is not just a matter of a declaration. Of course, when we're talking about God making a declaration, it's never just a matter of declaration, right? Kind of like when he said, let there be light, right? I mean, if there's anybody who has to be really careful about the words he chooses to speak, it's God, right? Because it comes into existence. But his declaration has this impact in our lives. Look at uh, this, this verse again as it, as it ends up. He says that through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. You see, God not only declares you righteous, but he makes you live. Though he's dead, he still speaks. Doesn't that remind you of of John chapter 11, where Jesus is talking to to Martha? 
And he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? God heard the voice of Abel after his brother killed him because Abel was still alive. Because God made him alive. And so that he could speak, and God could hear him speak, he had life. I want to think for a moment about what what does a living person do? Right? Well, right now, a living person will listen to a sermon, right? It's, it's kind of what, 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 we, what we do, and we're talking just about physically living. There are certain things that you know a person is living. A person who's walking around, you don't probably need to check their pulse at that moment, right? We know pretty well. If you're having a conversation with them and they're feeding you, you know this person is living. Well, the same is true when it comes to spiritual life. That there are certain things that a spiritually living person do. And so as I believe that God has made me alive, He makes me live, I'm going to live as consistent with that truth, which means I'm going to do those things that a living person does. Like, believe. A spiritually dead person can't believe, right? They're incapable of doing that on their own. They can't. But he can believe. A spiritually living person believes. And asking myself all the time, am I living consistent with the truth in the scripture? That haunting question I was asked so many years ago, where an individual said, uh, so how much of the Bible do you think you know? You know, maybe you say, yeah, I'm at about 83.7, right? Or maybe, maybe slightly lower, doesn't matter. But the second question is the, the horrible one. How much of what you know are you living? None. Am I believing it? I'm spiritually alive. I can believe. Not only can I believe, I can worship. And I don't mean I can go to church, right? Because believe it or not, you can actually go to church and not worship. Who knew? Because I've experienced it. I go to church and I don't worship. And each time I come into church and throughout the worship service, I have to continue to remind myself, no, I'm here to worship. It's really hard as a pastor, right, Jim? Because sometimes it's about, uh, I've got all these things to do. I've got to be sure, you know, check in. Lori, is there anything that you need? I've got, you know, be sure that uh, Lauren's got the, the sound. She's all good. No, they're great. I almost never have to worry about that these days. Um, but, but trying to make sure that everything is, is where it needs to be. Am I ready? Do I have my cues? Do I know what I'm going to say? All of that. Um, am I going to look at my notes and actually know what I'm written there or what that's about? And all that can, can just distract, right? Plus, all of the pressures of life that all of us feel, right? Everybody walked in here today with a story of this day. Every one of us. And there were, there were difficulties and, and there were good things that happened during the day. And all of us have got something planned right after this, right? We're taking mom to Olive Garden, right? Everybody, is that? Uh... But we, we, we have things planned and we're going to be doing that. And those things can get into our mind and we can quit worshiping. And so it's a constant choice. I am going to live, which means in this moment, I'm going to abandon myself to the Lord Jesus Christ fully and completely and let His will reign. That's what living people do. They believe. They worship. They love. Even when they are wronged, they choose to love. 
Because by this all men will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And I make that choice, that conscious choice, to believe that I am alive. Therefore, I am able to love. The unbeliever who does not have Jesus Christ is not spiritually alive and cannot love. But I can. I can can unconditionally commit myself to the highest good of another person right now. Because I'm alive. And because I'm alive, I can obey God when He calls me to set aside lower things, to turn my back upon my old self, and to walk in the newness of life. I can when I believe that I'm alive. And finally, I can witness I can tell a lost world that there is salvation in no other name. I can tell a lost world that Jesus indeed is a loving Savior. And I can invite them to put their trust in Him. When I believe, when I live consistent with the truth that God makes me live, that just as Abel, though he had died, could still speak, yet I, who was spiritually dead, am now alive, And so I can believe, worship, love, obey, and witness. Receive God's acceptance. And then experience intimacy with God. Look at verses 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. And he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, He was pleasing to God. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Enoch's experience is incredibly unique. We read about Enoch in Genesis chapter 5. Genesis 5 is is one of the, the genealogies in the book of Genesis Uh, that start out each of the sections or many of the sections. And I just want to look at a few times in which we we have these different individuals (coughs) addressed um, in uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 5. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Verse 8. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Verse 11. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Verse 14. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Verse 17. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. And verse uh, 20. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And let's skip down to uh, verse 27. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. And verse 31. So all the days of Lamech were 700 and 77 years, and he died. Did you notice a pattern? 
But look right in the middle of it, verse 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. The only person in this section that it doesn't say, and he died, was Enoch. Enoch did not taste death. He had this unique relationship with God that he experienced. Notice the intimacy that we see in in verse 5 in particular. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. Because he was pleasing to God. You see the intimacy of the relationship between Enoch and God? This, this, this relationship in which he pleases God, in which he's, he walked with God, and, and God just took him. He said, you, you don't belong there. You belong with me. And he takes him with him. Faith allows you to experience intimacy with God. Now allow me to be clear. Intimacy means, you know, that, that, that closeness of being known and knowing. And God is with you all the time. He's always with you. By faith we experience it. By faith we experience the fact that He is with us. And we're able to experience that nearness of God, that intimacy with God. It's when we believe, knowing that He reaches out to you. He reaches out with kind intentions. It says that the reason that he took him, did you notice that? So that he would not see death. God wanted to show a special kindness to Enoch. He said, I don't want you to see death. I don't know if anyone is is like me, but even since I was little at different times, I imagine what it will be like to die. Sometimes it's like, nope, 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 not going to take any time imagining that. that. That's just really uncomfortable. But I spend time to know what would that be like in that moment knowing that my time on this earth is about to end. And how would that affect me? And And it's a troubling thing. If you've ever seen an interview with an individual who has faced that moment and not died, it can be decades later and they're still deeply moved by by just how hard that is. One of my seminary professors would say this. He said, we weren't made to die and we don't do it easily. And that's right. That's the truth. What kindness to Enoch that God says, my son, I don't want you to have to worry about that. I'm just going to take you so that you never have to see it. You never have to worry about closing your eyes. And it was that kind intention of God. I think one of the things that that is difficult for us. I, 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 I believe that we have a tendency to view ourselves as adult Christians. Right? We think we're adults. 
And yet, we just read about like Methuselah, who like over 6,000 years ago was 969. So that makes him like 7,000 years old. I feel like a baby next to him, don't I? And what if he continued to mature all 7,000 years? And he grew a little bit every single year, right? I feel like if that's the case, my maturity level is much closer to, to your newborn baby than it is to Methuselah, right? I'm still in my infancy of faith. After, I think this, this year maybe 40 years that I've been a believer, I'm still in my infancy. But I view myself as an adult. I'm kind of like the little toddler who puts on grown-up clothes, right? And when I begin to understand that about myself, I, I, I think I can understand a little bit more about um, my inability to really understand God's kind intentions in my life. A small child may soil their diaper. And if mom and dad don't see it right away, it can create kind of a diaper rash. And, and, and so what do you have to do? You've got to clean that child, right? But that child is convinced that you are skinning them alive, right? And they are screaming and rebelling against what you're doing because they know you're killing them. And that's how I think that a lot of times we're like those little infants because God is doing things for us which are really an expression of His kindness and is just, just cleaning us up for our own good. And we scream and fuss and fight and fail to recognize the kind intention of God. That He's doing things in His kindness in our lives. The... Robin is someone who has helped me to see this at different times. Is God has given her an ability to be able to say, oh, wasn't that kind of God? And as we've known people who, in the last year of their life, they don't know it's their last year, but they end up spending time with their family and they're frustrated that they, that they aren't doing what they wanted to do, but God put them with their family and then took them home. And then you look back and you say, wasn't that kind of God to give them that last year with their family and to stop them from doing what they wanted to do? We need to develop eyes that see the kind intention of God, don't we? And I think that's what, what Enoch was able to see, and, and, and we see that. How is God reaching out to you? How is he reaching out in his kindness? One of the ways he may reach out to you is you wake up in the middle of the night. That ever happened to anybody here? Right? Like 2, 3 in the morning, and it's like wide awake. It's like, uh, I got like two hours left. It's like, nope, nope, you're wide awake. Well, I'll try, and you fight hard to try to get back to sleep, and it just doesn't work. Right? And I know of one man who told me that that was happening to him. And his decision was, well, God must want me awake, and so he will get up, and he'll read his Bible, and he'll pray during that time. And he uses that, God, that kind intention of God as a way to develop his intimacy with God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't that a wise choice that's made? Oh, for eyes to see the kind intention of God, to see him reaching out into my life so that I will respond.
Maybe he's bringing hardship into your life. Have you ever thought about the, the, the plagues that God brought on Egypt? Oftentimes we think about those plagues and we think, oh yeah, he was punishing Egypt. What if instead of punishing Egypt, he was inviting Pharaoh to find an intimacy with God? Wasn't each one of those plagues an invitation to Pharaoh to repent of his sin, to turn to the God of Israel? Every single one of them. But we have a tendency to miss that. Think about Job. Maybe the hardships in our lives are much like the hardships that were brought into Job's life, which weren't discipline for any sin that he, was, he had in his life, right? But they were for pruning so that he might rest in God more, so that he might abide in Christ. Is that what God's doing in your life and in the hardships that he's, he's bringing in your life? Maybe it's a time of sunshine. I read a, a sermon recently. I've been reading a series of sermons on suffering. And in this sermon, the, he was commenting on a psalm that talks about uh, uh, day and night God is faithful. And he points out what we see from that first off is that life has cycles. We have cycles of day where God's sunshine is on us and it's just going well. And we have cycles of night to where we face hardships and difficulties. And we have the cycles throughout our lives. But in all of them, God is faithful. And as God is bringing those times of sunshine in our life, He is again inviting us. He's reaching out to us. And so to believe that I can experience intimacy with God, knowing that He's reaching out to me, what should I do? I should pursue Him. Verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. You see the, the, the comments about intimacy and the comments about us pursuing God that is at the, the heart of this? Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Jeremiah wrote this letter to the children of Israel that were taken off, the children of Judah that were taken into captivity into Babylon. And he writes to them in verse 11, he says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. To these people who had been taken into captivity, he says, my plans are for you to have a future and a hope. It's to bring good to you. He says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. You will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, in the midst of the calamity, God was inviting them to respond in faith, knowing that God has brought this on my life, and therefore I believe that that's true, I will live consistent with that truth, and I will pursue God. And I will turn my attention to Him, that I might be near Him. I will begin to read my Bible so that I might hear God's voice. I love the uh, ESV translation of 2 Timothy 3.16, which uh, I think will come up here in just a second, unless I did something wrong, which is a high likelihood of that possibility. And it's looking more and more likely. Um, so 2 Timothy 3.16, we all know, you know the version that uh, for all scriptures inspired of God, but the word inspired of God really is, it's, it's God-breathed. It's God-breathed, and I love that idea. It's God speaking to us. It's not a recipe for successful living. 
It's not an owner's manual. It's the revelation of the true and the living God by his own voice. And I will believe that. And so I will pursue him by listening to what he has to say, by reading the Bible to hear his voice. I will pray so that I might gain his heart. Not pray to just give him my shopping list or, or, or my Christmas list. I will pray that I might gain his heart. Whether that heart then completely conquers me or he actually is conquered by what I'm longing for. Either way is great because if what I'm longing for conquers him, it's because that's what he wanted anyway, right? And so either way, I'm in in a good spot. And I'll pursue him by just being still in faith. Our call to worship this morning, Psalm 131. I'm just going to be still like a baby, a weaned child in his mother's arms, just resting. Receive God's acceptance by faith. Experience intimacy with God by faith. And finally, impact this world by faith. Look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. You notice Abel and Enoch both dealt with God in private, but Noah was public. Noah was more than just an ark builder. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 <clears throat> tells us that he, uh, it says, and he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. He was a preacher of righteousness. And I think he, he preached with words, but I think he also preached with, with a mallet and a saw. As he built the ark that made no sense to anyone around, Why are you building an ark? Because God said so, and he's going to bring a flood and destroy life on this world. And in every single cut of the saw, was it not an invitation to the people around him? Every, I'm sorry, Abel and Enoch had faith in God in a private way, and their impact was good. Noah had faith in a public way, and through his faith, the, all of humanity was saved. Right? So apart from his faith, all of humanity perishes. But he believed, and he had an impact in this world. Your faith can also have an impact on this world. Because your faith, like Noah's, speaks to your family. He prepared an ark, and the purpose of preparing the ark was to save his family. And the ark protected his family from the wrath of God, did it not? No, it wasn't the eternal wrath of God, but it was the external manifestation of the wrath of God. They were spared from by the ark that he built. It saved them from that wrath. That's a magnificent accomplishment and a magnificent thing that God did for his family. His family saw Noah's obedience, did they not? They witnessed it. They heard it. They knew what was going on and why he was doing. The family were made aware of all of this. The family also saw the flood. And the family experienced survival from that flood. 
Many of you have probably heard the testimony of Susanna Wesley, who had, I believe it was 19 children. She herself was the 25th of 25, and so she was just, uh, her mom thought she was a bit of a slacker as a mom, but anyway, um, she only had 19. Now, I believe that nine of them survived into adulthood, so it was a very hard time. But through her witness, both John and Charles Wesley become believers, and she establishes the groundwork for their faith. And she's known as the mother of Methodism. What a tremendous honor. And was it her faith? I mean, was it her sermons that impacted her children? As you read the story, it's her daily devotions that every day she would have personal devotions and she would meet with each of her children in turn and would talk to them about the Lord. It was her life, her faith, that had such an impact. I remember the story of one of the elders in a church I pastored who said he got serious about his faith when he saw his dad suddenly start reading his Bible. He'd wake up and he'd see his dad reading his Bible in the morning. He hadn't seen that before. And it told him, this is real. Your faith also speaks to the world. The ark invited everyone to believe. Before coming to Providence, I spent about nine months out of the ministry. I was working in a paint store. Paint store had four employees at that time. I had worked in paint stores for about a, a ten years before that, so I kind of knew what I was doing, and I came in, and, and the manager was someone who I have never heard so many foul words in a single day in my entire life. And I did not grow up in a Christian home. <laughs> I mean, he just, it was incessant. Uh, another driver was an atheist, and the third was a Jehovah's Witness. Before I left, I noticed that the uh, manager uh, did not swear nearly so much. The atheist would, would talk to me, and he'd say, oh, I don't believe in God. I said, that's okay, he believes in you. And he'd say, oh, that's really nice. And the Jehovah's Witness had two of her friends come in, and she says, this is my pastor. Why? None of them ever heard me preach. Makes me question. But anyway, <laughs> maybe that was good. I don't know. But all of them were impacted. And it wasn't that I was trying to. I was just trying to follow Jesus. And God uses us to impact the world around us. Live your faith, friends. Live your faith. Your family will be impacted. And the world will be impacted. Ephesians 1.3 tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's already done it. And you receive them by faith. It's by faith that you're able, believing in their existence and the perceived truth, living consistent with that, that you're able to bring that into your life, to receive the blessings of faith. Receive God's acceptance, like Abel did. Receive and experience intimacy with God, like Enoch did. And impact the world, as Noah did.
Let's pray. Father, I have no idea what you're doing in each of our hearts. But I know that you're stirring me to believe more and more. To live more of the Bible that I know. And to learn more of the Bible that I may live it. Father, I pray for providence. That you will make this church a church of faith. More and more. Not to say we're not but help us to grow for your namesake. Amen.